This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. Welcome to Very Bold Radio, where we bring you inspirational interviews from a variety of difference makers, authors, singers, athletes, and other difference makers, as well as encouraging teaching from God's Word. It's been a little while since I've brought you a word uh, from the Bible, so today we're celebrating Easter Resurrection Sunday with a unique message and perspective with Easter upon us. Resurrection Sunday right at our doorstep. I got to thinking about the sad Saturday in between the cross on Friday and the empty tomb and risen Christ on Sunday. And that led me to imagining making a pastoral call to one of those closest friends of Jesus of Nazareth on the Saturday after his death. So if you're ready to dive in deep with imagination and empathy to go to Sad Saturday 2,000 years ago, let's go together. But first, let me explain something. I'm a pastor. I'm also president of Very Bold Ministries, and I lead the Peanut Butter Bowl. I'm blessed and honored to do Bible studies with high school coaches, to also minister to professional athletes, and yes, I'm also a youth pastor at River City Church in New Braunfels. But as the old late-night Ronco TV commercials used to say, but wait, there's more. I'm also a pastor who has the honor to officiate weddings. Tonight, I'm officiating for Esther and Fred Curry. Congrats. And tomorrow night, Coach Joey Boyd and his bride-to-be Savannah. Congrats. And I'm also honored to counsel and pastor those going through challenging times and to disciple and teach people who Jesus is and to learn to hear his voice. And I do funeral services. And this is where I'm going to ask you to use your imagination because I'm inviting you, yes, you, to go with me to do a pastoral visit. I'm going to walk you through it as the two of us travel across 2,000 years and miles across the globe to Jerusalem. You see, when I do a funeral or memorial service, and even as I mention these words, just past memorial services and funerals, they, the highlights flash before my eyes of loved ones and families that have been so precious to me. My heart, even today, goes out to the families, and I'm praying for you. Perhaps you're grieving something, and you still hurt. Know that your pain is not forgotten. Trust that Jesus, even today, wants to encourage you and love you in your grief and loss. So as I was saying, when I lead a funeral or memorial service, one of the things that I'm honored to do is to go and meet with some, if not all, of the family members and friends whenever possible. I do this for several reasons. One is to know the person better. I may or may not know them before the funeral service, but there are going to be so many facets that I do not realize myself that I want to ask about stories from the families. Some of those stories serve as stories that I can share during the memorial service that help people to know the person who has passed or to know more about that beloved person. 
but also in listening and inviting stories I have seen. It is such a healthy part of the grieving process. So that becomes something really beautiful to me. So let me ask you, have you been on a pastoral call to someone who's just lost someone they love? Come with me. I invite you to open up that imagination and your heart as we go on a very sad Saturday to check on one of Jesus' best friends, not only one of the specially prayed over chosen 12 closest disciples and followers of Jesus, but also along with his own brother James and leader Peter, John, one of the inner core three, we're going to visit John Now, you and I have some 2020 hindsight right now. We know that John would go on to write the beautiful stories of Jesus later in his life and tell such great sayings and teachings as, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And the signs that John shared about Jesus, incredible. And that prologue, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Oh, beautiful. We also know that much later he would write those letters that we call John's epistles and eventually the apocalypse, the revealing, the revelation. But on this Saturday, we are going to meet a discouraged, shocked, disappointed, hurting, questioning, afraid John. In hindsight, you and I know that Saturday is just one day away from the most important miracle in all of history, the resurrection of the Son of God, of Jesus, of Nazareth. But John, on that Saturday, you have to understand and imagine is not in that place. You and I understand that in order to get to the resurrection, we must first go to the cross. You and I understand to get to the resurrection, we also must suffer in sadness on a Saturday. You and I know that. You and I understand that now. But on that Saturday, John must have been so hurting and so confused. Join me. You and I walk to the home where it's been prearranged that we will sit down with John and talk about Jesus, talk about what happened, and talk about stories and memories that might come to John. As we get to the door, we knock, not just once, but we knock again. We can hear people talking in hushed tones inside the home, so we knock yet again. We sense hesitation. I call out, is is John there? We're supposed to meet with him. Hello? Finally, the door barely cracks open, and we see dark brown eyes, but bloodshot, studying us with furrowed eyebrows. From somewhere inside, another voice calls out and says, they're okay, let let them in. This disciple at the door opens the door but grabs our arms to hurry us in. He then looks up outside up and down the street before closing the door and latching it locked. He points a finger in your face. Were you followed? No, you immediately say, then you look at me, right? I, I don't think so. I shrug. What's your name, I ask of this disciple? I'm not John. You don't need to know my name. Now, you and I exchange suspicious looks that indicate, well, that's weird. That disciple points to another man. That's John. It's John. You're here for him, not for me. As John walks over to us, the first man backs away and leaves the room. I'm John, this man says. Welcome. Sorry about that. We're all 
shell-shocked, not sure who we can trust. Have a seat. He offers us a drink and figs to snack on and asks a woman named Martha to get them for us. After a few welcoming words, we of course say we're sorry for your loss. We ask, do you mind telling us what happened? Now, sometimes in these pastoral crisis situations, we already know what happened. But we realize that to get started, sometimes a person just naturally tells it again. So John says, where do I even start? You may be tempted to prompt him and say, in the beginning, but we don't because we also realize that when someone has just lost a loved one, sometimes their mind has to start in the immediate context. So I say, I'm I'm sorry for asking, but when did you know things were bad? He sighs. I guess Thursday night. I guess it started in the garden. Now, you and I quickly exchange knowing glances because of our knowledge, what we know, our perspective, the garden. Of course, it started in the garden. It started in the garden is a loaded statement. And John can't realize the dramatic and beautiful irony of what he's saying. Jesus' dramatic, climatic moments had to happen in a garden. It's poetic. That's Jesus' choice in the garden, to be obedient to God the Father. When that obedience would be selfless and would be completely sacrificial and would bring life to any and all who would choose to accept the gift he offered to bring people into relationship and reconciliation with God. In the garden, yes, John, yes. It all started in a garden. Now, John is just thinking of Jesus' garden of Gethsemane. But you and I are going back much further to the beginning and Adam and Eve and their garden of Eden. Adam and Eve in that garden, tempted to disobedience, to be selfish and to disregard God the Father, to deny what God has commanded, to give into the lie the serpent has landed, the death blow, and for that act of disobedience, rebellion, to bring death to people and to separate not only Adam and Eve from rich, abundant life without questions, doubts, insecurities, fears, pain, anxieties, without calamity, without cancer, without colds, without COVID, without suffering or hatred or racism or injustice and hurt. But it would impact all of us. That separation from God is a universal family trait. That's what we have in common. And all the insecurities, fighting, fears, pain, troubles, doubts are a part of us all. There is none righteous. All have gone astray. All have gone their own way. Of course, when John states to us it started in the garden, his mind has not gone back to the Garden of Eden. He's just in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's in Gethsemane, that garden where Jesus must obey, must decide that he will drink the cup of suffering, that he will do as the Father commands, that the time has come for his own tree, the true tree of life, the cross that will bring reconciliation and forgiveness, and the great reversal for all who choose to accept the gift of salvation that Jesus offers. It's in the garden we see Jesus say yes 
to complete rejection so that we may have complete acceptance. When Jesus says yes to suffering so that we may be released, given the cure and brought to healing, Jesus' death but our life, Jesus imprisoned, but us set free from our sin, and Jesus cursed that we might have the curse of God's wrath forever removed from our hearts, souls, and minds. But John, John can't see the big picture that you and I can clearly see from our vantage point. John is thinking the Garden of Gethsemane because of his own guilt and shame. You lose a loved one, guilt can quickly descend. Thoughts like, I could have stopped this from happening. Why didn't I do more? Why didn't I do better? Am I a bad person for not stopping this? John's troubled heart and mind are stuck in the garden, and so we gently ask him, what happened in the garden? John buries his face in his hands. We wait patiently, not forcing anything. Finally, John speaks. I fell asleep. You fell asleep? Yes, I fell asleep. What do you, what do you mean? I mean, John, sounding impatient, all Jesus wanted was for me to stay awake and pray. Now you and I know the scriptures and we know that Peter and James also fell asleep, but John doesn't mention that. He says, I couldn't stay awake just one hour to pray for him. If I had only prayed, he he still might be here today. You don't know that, I say, but without much conviction. It doesn't matter. I let him down. His one hour of need, I couldn't even give him one hour of prayer. Well, can you tell us what happened? What else happened in the garden? His prayer was so loud, so intense, it woke me midway through. It was like a nightmare. He was pleading with God the Father, saying, Please, Abba Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way we can rescue people from their own sin, then please, Father, show me another way. What happened next? He looks at us almost angry. Nothing happened. That's what? No voice from heaven this time. Nothing but awkward silence. Then Jesus finally says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And then he said to us, wake up, let's go. My betrayer is here. Now you and I know how the story goes. You and I know that to get to the resurrection, we have to get to the cross. And you and I know that to get to the resurrection, we have to have a painful, sad Saturday of regret and questions and fears and doubts and loneliness and even shame. And if we dig deep enough, you and I know that Adam and Eve had their garden of Eden where they chose to disobey. And you and I know we too have a garden of disobedience, a garden where our selfish choices have choked out the roses and lilies of life and have brought forth weeds. And when we take a close look at our decisions, we realize that to get to the resurrection, we must face our own garden. And that garden also has the regret of being too tired to pray, too tired to care, too selfish to stand by our Lord and support him when that is all he really asks. To get to resurrection, we must go to our garden of regret and rebellion and admit what we have done. 
John goes on to tell us that one of the other followers named Judas comes and greets Jesus with a kiss. John explains to us he's lost as to what's going on. He doesn't understand. He's right there next to Jesus, he says. Jesus is calling Judas friend. And John doesn't understand what is happening. It looks like Judas is at the front of this mob crowd and soldiers. All John sees, he says, is an army with clubs and swords and anger and hatred. Before John knows what to even think or say or do, he tells us, one of our group took a sword and tried to kill a soldier with it, and he missed, but chopped off his ear. And Jesus quickly acted and healed the man's ear, he says, right there on the spot. And that should be enough to stop them from arresting Jesus and taking him away. I mean, I don't understand, John says. I've seen Jesus heal the blind time and time again. I've seen paralyzed people get up and start dancing around. You won't believe me, he tells us, but a funeral was going on. A funeral. We see a dead teenager's body on a board being carried in a funeral procession. And I watch as Jesus, in that tender, beautiful way he had, walk up. And he looked at that boy's mom. And I watched tears streak down his face. And then he went over and touched the dead man. And that dead man sat up alive. And they're going to arrest Jesus and kill Jesus? What kind of animals are they? What kind of hatred leads people to do that? It's madness, John says. And the passionate and angry way he says it, we almost feel as if he's accusing us on the spot. And Lazarus, John says, Lazarus, four days in the cave, dead, buried. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Roll away the stone. And Martha, who's been crying, starts to smirk. Lord, uh, he's been in the tomb four days. It's going to stink if you roll away the stone. And Jesus says, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And you and I, there with John, we realize that to see the dead raised to life first comes death, then comes faith, belief, and trust, and then resurrection. And you and I realize that John doesn't remember that on this sad Saturday doesn't remember that Jesus promised he would be raised on the third day. He's in too much pain, too much hurt, too much fog and confusion to remember the promise the repeated promise of Jesus that three days and he would be raised. John is telling us what it was like to see Lazarus emerge from that tomb and the chaos of people having to take off the burial cloth and the linen strips, his face wrapped in a cloth just like any good Jewish burial of the day. Unbind him and let him go, John recalls for us, Jesus saying. And then John gets quiet, shaking his head. And now, Jesus in a tomb, guarded by soldiers, wrapped in cloth and linen and a bare cloth around his face. You and I understand that John is going to see soon enough resurrection of Jesus, not just mere revived or resuscitated Lazarus. We know it's going to be different. 
but John doesn't on this sad and sorrowful Saturday. But we know you can't have resurrection. You simply can't have the ultimate victory unless you first go to the cross. And so we ask, John, were you there? Was I where? Well, at the cross where they crucified him. John smirks, not at first I wasn't. We had all scattered, run for our lives. I'm ashamed to say it, but I was just so afraid. You and I aren't surprised. We know what happens in the garden. We know that Adam and Eve hide from God, don't want to be anywhere near God. You and I know that all 12 ran from Jesus in the garden, don't want to be anywhere near Jesus. You and I aren't surprised because we have run from Jesus too. We have hidden from God and we have tried to hide things from God in shame and guilt. We have run the other way. We know what happens in the garden of our hearts where we sow seeds that lead to weeds, where we plant pain and hope somehow it grows joy, where we water hurt and give light to bitterness and hope that it leads to happiness. When we find a garden of misery instead, we do like Adam and Eve and blame God. Yeah, John, we get it. We know about shame and fear and running from Jesus. And if we're blessed enough by God's good grace, we know a thing or two about showing up at the cross. Tell us, John, why did you go back to the cross? I couldn't leave them alone, John says. It was hell to watch him go through what he went through, bleeding and broken and suffering. And the worst thing, trying to sing a song when you've got no breath to give. Every breath he took was pain, excruciating pain. He couldn't even sing the lyric, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me, O oh God? I felt so hopeless, so alone. Were you alone? Hmm, he says, the women. We say, what, what women? A slight smile emerges on John's face. Oh, a whole bunch of women were right there at the foot of the cross. But then we watch as his lip begins to quiver. He sniffles away and fights the tears, covers his eyes and says, his mom, Mary, she, she watched it all. And you know what's crazy? We just say what? John says, even in that darkest moment, that pain and hurt to end all pain and hurt, even then Jesus was still loving unselfishly and thinking about others. He stutters and the words aren't coming. Then he says, he was thinking about me. He was loving me from that cross, from his pain. He was loving me. He looked at Mary and then me saying, take care of him like he's your son, ma'am. And then looking at me saying, that's your mom now. Take care of her. And though it's been good for John to share all that heartache and just all of it, we'll feel at that point it's time to lighten the load just a bit. So we'll change the questions. Go back in time. When did you first meet Jesus? What did you think about him? And we'll talk about little things like nicknames, about Simon being called Rock or Peter, and about how Jesus called John and his brother James the sons of thunder. And John will clear up for us if Jesus was being funny or empowering them or both. And we'll talk about some embarrassing things like the time those same sons of thunder offered to call fire from heaven to burn down a town of unbelievers. And how Jesus corrected them like no other. 
in the time John and James thought they could get Jesus to guarantee them the top two positions of authority and glory when Jesus became king. We'll laugh about mistakes made and about little memories that we all hold on to. And John will feel a little better. But we'll know he's about to feel a whole lot better because we know it starts in the old garden, leads to the cross, comes some tough, sorrowful Saturday, and then resurrection in a new garden. And this new garden where you expect death and tombs where dead bodies will be buried, and who knows, maybe in our imagination on Sunday, we'll run with John and Peter to this garden after hearing from Mary Magdalene and some of the other women disciples that something's up. And John will race to the garden where the tomb is, and he'll look into the cave expecting to see a dead body lying there. When he looks in, he'll see the linen cloths and the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head, and he'll remember Lazarus and how when Lazarus came out, all those cloths were still on that dead man walking back to life. And even without seeing the risen Jesus, the risen Christ who conquered death, the risen Messiah who death could not hold, the risen Son of God whose body could not be corrupted or decayed, even without seeing the wounds of Jesus or touching his resurrected hands or eating fish with him or hugging him even without all that john will believe and how does john believe when not even peter yet will believe and thomas won't believe until he touches jesus resurrected body john believes because god has given him faith to believe And that's my prayer for you today, that though you have not seen the resurrected body of Christ, the indestructible resurrected body of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, that yet you will believe. And having believed, you will know that your resurrection is coming, that you too will one day receive the indestructible, incorruptible new body that won't get sick, won't get aches, won't decay or get old. And that believing, you will know that God has promised a new garden called the new heaven and the new earth. And in that garden, God makes all things good again. But first, we go to the cross where Jesus took our place and gave us his place and grace, gave us life through his death, gave us his peace in his broken body, gave us forgiveness from all our guilt and shame. We go through our Saturdays where sometimes the sorrow and questions and anxieties get us rattled, where doubts make us wonder, and then we go to the new garden where an empty tomb and neatly folded up burial cloths await us, and by God's grace and power, we believe. And in that new garden, right there, we receive a new heart, a new hope, a new life, and we receive the Holy Spirit. And though the Saturdays between the cross and the empty tomb may cause us hurt and confusion, we can always go back to the cross where Jesus says, I forgive them. And we can always go to the new garden. And we can always go to the new garden where Jesus calls us by name. And that is what he does. He loves you. He calls you by name. If you're listening right now, you can hear him whisper, he calls you by name. He calls you child. 
He calls you daughter or son. He longs to be in relationship and reconciliation with you, and he longs to give you resurrection in the new garden where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more wars or abuse or jealousies or gossip or lust or misuse of power. And all we do is believe Jesus and receive his gift. That's it. Resurrection is yours. I'm Steve Teal, and this is Very Bold Radio and Podcast. If you want to reach me, email me at steve at verybold.com. If for the first time you just said, I believe, please email, email me, steve at verybold.com. I would love to hear from you. God bless you. Know that hope that the Apostle Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians 3.12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. <laughs>